0: from West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
1: WELCOME TO ANOTHER SPECIAL EPISODE OF VIEWPOINT, THIS TIME COVERING THE RESULTS OF THE 2016 GENERAL ELECTION. I'M Ashton MARA. TUESDAY WAS CERTAINLY A HISTORIC NIGHT, NOT JUST FOR WEST VIRGINIA, BUT FOR THE ENTIRE NATION. FOR THE FIRST TIME, OUR COUNTRY WILL BE LED BY SOMEONE WITH NO PREVIOUS POLITICAL OR MILITARY EXPERIENCE. REPUBLICAN DONALD TRUMP WILL TAKE THE WHITE HOUSE IN JANUARY. TRUMP EASILY TOOK ALL FIVE OF WEST VIRGINIA'S ELECTORAL VOTES IN A RACE THAT WAS CALLED VERY EARLY IN THE NIGHT FOR THIS STATE. In the race for governor, Democrat Jim Justice held the office for the Democratic Party as current Governor Earl Ray Tomlin meets his term limit. But the state GOP made gains on the Board of Public Works, taking four of the five constitutional offices. Democrats were able to pick up just one seat in the House, but Republicans picked up a number of seats in the Senate, where they now hold a 22 to 12 majority. All of the results, however, will not be final until the counties canvass their votes. Joining me now to discuss those results, though, are two voices the West Virginia Public Broadcasting audience is likely familiar with. Lori Lynn is a conservative columnist and also joins Scott Finn each week on our podcast, The Front Porch. Ted Bettner is the executive director of the West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy. He also uh, visits us on the legislature today each year to help break down the state budget proposals thank you both so much for being here today sure thing
2: thanks for having us so
1: let's start very generally with a reaction on the governor's race Lori. why don't we start with you surprised here
0: i don't think you can really say you're surprised by this um there weren't very many polls that were showing anything other than a jim justice win so i don't even think the cole folks they were Definitely hoping for a different outcome, but no, this was probably what everyone was kind of leaning toward in their mind. Ted, do you feel the
1: same? Not, not really a surprise?
2: Not really. I mean, I think the big question was which, how much was Trump going to influence down the ballot in the governor's race, the state Senate, in the House, of, in the legislature as well. Uh, it's sort of unclear what happened with that, but it's clear that uh, the polling was somewhat accurate in terms of uh, 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 Mr. Justice winning becoming governor.
1: Yeah, we've talked about the Trump effect, I think, kind of all election cycle long, whether or not he was going to be able to affect the race for Cole. And then we've got this other issue in there that, you know, the Republicans, they got rid of straight ticket voting. Lori, do you think that that straight ticket could have made a difference for Bill Cole? It was, I think, nine percentage points difference.
0: Maybe a little bit, but I think more what you're, what you saw was that this is the year of the political novice billionaire with a very big personality and um, that obviously describes Donald Trump and it describes Jim Justice here in West Virginia. And that it was that year, not only in West Virginia, which we kind of knew it would be, but as it turned out across the country uh, with the the whole country going for Trump.
1: Yeah, we've essentially, even though they're from different parties, we've essentially got the same kind of candidate in Jim Justice and Donald Trump. Conservative ish <laughs> businessmen, you know, I think that it's safe to call Jim Justice a conservative Democrat. Conservative businessmen who can run on their outsiderness. Um the And other, who
0: says, trust me, I'll take care of it doesn't offer a whole lot of details. It's really striking how similar they they are.
1: They are yeah, that's true. And and Talking to Senator Manchin, who was at the Justice Party last night, um, you know, his big thing was well, Jim Justice also brings us a message of hope. Ted, I'm wondering how you feel about that because we don't get (laughs) specifics from Jim Justice, but we do get a I'm going to move the state forward. I'm the big thinker that we need.
2: And I think you're right too. I think he's a billionaire What the state's only billionaire. I think he's been very successful in his businesses from his point of view and that's inspiring to a lot of people like maybe if we vote for him it'll trickle down to us. And I think a lot of the voters went in thinking that. Uh, but I think there is a huge disconnect between uh, some of the political statements and what's actually possible. The budget's a clearly one. We can't say we're not going to increase taxes, but we're not going to cut government and we're going to grow a way out. You can't grow out of a $350 million deficit in the next couple months.
1: Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about the budget a little bit because that is exactly what Jim Justice has said all campaign long and repeated in his speech last night. I'm not going to cut government. I'm not going to raise taxes. We're going to grow the economy to get out of this mess. I mean, is is that possible? What
0: does that look like, Lori? Well, certainly not in the time frame that he has to do it, which is, you know, months, not even a year. Um, and, and as you're saying, it's over $300 million deficit. So he is going to have to figure, uh, There's just there's almost literally no way that he cannot cut the budget or raise taxes. And I think it's going to be interesting watching the Republican legislature sit back a little bit and say, okay, you know, you're the guy who said you had the plan, Governor. Let let's see what you know, propose something, throw it out there and, and let us react to it.
1: Right, because the transition starts I mean, essentially today is when they have to start making these plans. He takes office in mid-January and then he's got a month to put a budget together and propose it to the legislature. You know, can you fix all the problems in a month?
2: <laughs> it's very difficult. It's also very hard for states to stimulate the economy in the short run because, you know, it's a zero-sum game if you raise taxes or you cut the budget, you know, that has adverse impacts in certain ways, and I think it's really important that uh, when we looked at the huge support for Trump here, a lot of that's rooted in the fact that, you know, wages have declined or stagnated for a majority of workers in West Virginia over the last 35 years, for male workers down over $2 an hour over the last 35 years. So when we're looking at taxes, I hope that there's a look to look up top too, looking at the severance tax, looking at high income earners such as Jim Justice, it's gonna be a really important part. Otherwise, we're just gonna be raising taxes on people at the low income of the spectrum that spend their money every day in the local economy and that can hurt things.
1: You know, Ted, you, you tend to be our kind of budget expert from the outside looking in. What is your advice for Jim Justice right now? Can you, What specific bills or specific policies do you think he needs to present?
2: Uh, I think things are gonna, it's going to have to be a combination of things, but the budget has been cut mercifully over the last couple of years and there's really nowhere to go. Uh, so you're going to have to have that conversation about revenue and we're going to have to look at revenue also from people who have done the best over the last 35 years people in the top one percent who are doing really well uh, where the middle class is stagnating things that we can do to do that is looking at the severance tax. Right now, 90% of our natural gas is exported out of West Virginia. We don't see much benefit of that. We can look at raising that. That's mostly paid by out-of-state companies. We can also look at uh, excess acreage tax that the Underwood administration looked at back in 1999. We can also look at raising the taxes on people over $200,000, like 3%, Uh, to help you know provide some money for the budget and we're also going to have to look at savings over the long term. We lock up way too many people in the state especially kids and we can make a lot of savings if we do the right things by addressing those things in the community uh, instead of just locking people up.
1: Lori do you have thoughts on that? I mean what advice budget-wise would you have for the Justice Administration going in? you agree with Ted or you think a different direction?
0: I I mean I, I appreciate you know, what Ted would like to do, but I think if you go to the Republican legislature and ask them to raise severance taxes, you know, good luck with that. I, it's <laughs> oh a, it's
2: <laughs> she asked me what I wanted to do, <laughs> I understand. Um,
0: and as far as, you know, I, Ted knows the numbers better than I yeah. do, but raising taxes on, you know, people who make over 200000 it's kind of shocking how little that actually raises because we just don't actually have very many of those people. Mil- $100
2: million, dollars, people.
0: yeah. Um, I think Republicans would like to see things more like broadening the base of the sales tax, for example, there are a lot of things that we exclude from the sales tax, the telecommunications has come up Absolutely. before, um, kind of broadening the base of that and and this is a chance for Republicans to actually dig into real tax reform, to kind of restructure the way that we that we and you know your people on your side of the aisle, I think, can kind of agree with this. It's a good chance to maybe make some changes that will be broader and more long term as we transition from, you know, an energy, mainly energy economy to hopefully some other things.
1: And I think the Republican majority over the past years has definitely been talking about those things. And we saw, of course, the Senate president and the House speaker put together that tax reform commission or committee. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure which one they called it, but, you know, to study restructuring the state's tax code. Is the political will really there to do that?
0: Well, it's interesting if you look at, for example, the United States Congress in the 1990s when Bill Clinton was president. Some people think that that was a uniquely good opportunity to have a Democratic president and a Republican Congress, which is you know what we have now in the in the state side. That that was a, a unique opportunity for kind of compromise, budget cutting. The, United States briefly ran a surplus during that time. So maybe there is something about it. And I I do think you will find uh, Republicans willing to work with him. He's brand new. He'll have a little bit of a honeymoon. So I think we'll we'll have to wait a little bit and see how it shakes out in the the initial months.
2: There's also other things that they can do. So if they're looking at like in a sales tax increase or anything like that, they can couple that with like a working families tax credit like the state EITC, 26 states have one of those and it's money that goes right into the pockets of low and moderate income families. And if there's one thing like Barack Obama and Paul Ryan agree on, it's the EITC. It brings about $350 million into our state's economy. at The federal level, so many states have them, red, blue, uh, purple in the middle. That could be something that would be a compromise to help sort of get get through that process so we can uh, put more money back into the economy. When
0: we're talking about raising taxes, I think moderate Democrats have a real opportunity for two reasons. First, because anytime a party raises taxes, they want it to be bipartisan, right? The Republicans don't want to do it on their own. And secondly, the Republicans have a problem on the right. There's this group of, of delegates, in, especially in the House, uh, that will not raise taxes under any circumstance. Yeah, we saw that we last We saw time. it in those yeah. special sessions. So, uh, if you're a moderate Democrat, you know, I think Tim Armstead is going to be interested in talking to you at some point to kind of shore up his coalition for that.
1: Well, let's talk about the legislature a little bit more because we've now found that, you know, the Democrats picked up one seat in the House, not really going to make much of a difference. They hold 36 seats now over there. But in the Senate, we we did get a pretty major shift. I mean, during the 2014 midterms, if people kind of remember, we were tied at the end of the night, 1717, 17, and one senator chose to flip parties. So we were eighteen sixteen for two two sessions, yeah, and now we've got this twenty two to twelve majority. It- It makes a big difference. I want to talk about policy a little bit, because over the past two years, there have been some controversial pieces of legislation that have come up. You know, right to work, prevailing wage, constitutional carry, just to name a few of them. You know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, it failed last year. It failed in a Republican-controlled Senate. But going into this next legislative session, we don't know who the leader of the Senate is going to be. Could we see these national conservative policies appear again this year? Ted, I want to start with you.
2: Yeah, I think so. You just talked about RIFRA. I think that could play a big role in who is Senate President as well, uh, given the new pickup in the Eastern Panhandle and other places. So that will play a big role. I think we'll see other policies, too, come down the pipe that we've seen in other states, whether it's uh, restructuring the personal income tax so it uh, is a little more... Uh, Doesn't hit high-income people as much. That could be something we'll see. Also, school vouchers, different things. The one thing that hasn't been really approached over the last two years is education, and it seemed like one of the only forces of uh, sort of of progressive force in the legislature was sort of the teachers' unions, and not a lot's happened there. So I would expect to see a lot more movement on education issues going forward, especially with the declining population.
1: Yeah, Lori, from you, your view, what do you see, and I'm kind of specifically interested in Senate Republicans, what do you see them taking on this year in terms
0: of policy? Uh, two things. I think Ted's right, education. but I think you'll see a charter schools bill, um, and I think that that has a really good chance of, of passing this time. It's been kind of like the white whale of education policy for Republicans here. Fifty-three states have charter schools laws. We don't. Think that will probably happen. The other thing you're hearing a lot about today is paycheck protection, which is, um, you know, we have right to work, but right to work doesn't apply to uh, people in public sector unions. So uh, paycheck protection would uh, allow people to say, no, I don't want anything taken out of my paycheck for political activity, or you'd have you'd have to sign to get permission for that. That's another way of kind of chipping away at, at union predominance here. I think Republicans feel like the unions came after us, you know, after we did prevailing wage, after we did right to work, and and they lost. You know, the Republicans picked up seats instead of losing. So I think they feel pretty emboldened on that kind of thing.
1: You know, Ted, you mentioned this, but. The Senate, I think we should mention that actually both sides of the aisle will have new leadership this year in the Senate Mm -hmm. in particular. Senate Minority Leader Jeff Kessler has left, he tried to run for governor. Senator Bill Cole obviously tried to run for governor. So on both sides of the aisle we're kind of scrambling to find somebody new. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch Carmichael just barely re-won his seat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lori, let's start with you on the inside. What are you hearing about leadership in the Senate right now?
0: I think it will be Senator Carmichael. That's, that's my sense of it. I think, um, you know, obviously he was in a very tight race. I think if he had lost last night, Senator Gaunch um, was, I think, willing and maybe the con- would have been the consensus, but I don't think he is in a position where he wants to challenge Carmichael. Um, and Carmichael is very popular. I suspect it will be him. Ted, what do you think?
2: I think Senator Carnes is sort of the wild card there. I think a lot of the senators, uh, Azinger or a couple others who picked up are on the very far right Tea Party right uh, and they'd be more aligned with somebody like that. When it comes to Carmichael, I, th- I wonder if a lot of the uh, GOP leadership in the Senate don't feel like they owe a little bit of that to uh, the Family Values Coalition, who been who are uh, very adamantly against that and a big block of voters for them. So whether Carmichael will get sort of backlash of not getting that position, We'll see that, I think we're gonna see that over the next couple months.
1: I think what's interesting, and I just wanna point out quickly, is that there are two members on the Republican side of the aisle that have so much leadership experience. Obviously, Senator Mike Hall, who heads the finance committee and was the previous minority leader. And then there's Senator Charlie Trump, who served as minority leader in the House. These guys have the experience to do it, but it just doesn't seem likely that either of them are gonna end up with the backing of their side of the aisle.
2: No, it doesn't. I don't think, what I understand is that Trump really doesn't want to do that. Yeah, I think, it, told me. I think yeah. it has something to do
0: with willingness as well yeah. as backing.
1: My call yeah.
2: might be considered a liberal at this point in the uh, <laughs> Republican Party. So. Yeah, We
1: mentioned that before. You know, if one of them is going to go independent, it could be. It could be my call. Well, Lori Lynn, Ted Bettner, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. We continue our discussion about the results of the 2016 general election now with Dr. Robert Rupp. He's a political science professor at West Virginia Wesleyan College and a former Republican member of the State Election Commission. Dr. Rupp, thanks for being here.
3: Thank you for the invitation.
1: So let's start. You know, we've watched West Virginia make this transition from the top down from a blue to a red state. We voted for a Republican president since George Bush. The legislature made the flip in 14, and obviously this year didn't flip back, so it looks like it's a trend. But we voted for a Democrat for governor. Can you talk about the significance of that?
3: Well, let's start with what I call the trifecta in state politics, Ashton. It's control of the congressional delegation which the Republicans started in 2000 and now accomplished 10 years later. It's control of the legislature, which Republicans just did two years ago, both houses. And the third part of state politics is control of the governor's mansion, the executive. And for more than 80 years, it was Democrat governor after Democrat governor. In fact, Ashton, there have only been two Republican governors in 80 years. And guess what? After the votes were counted today, day, there's still only two Republican governors. So the question is, is that the Democrats kind of circle their wagons and have kept control of the governor's mansion. But by doing so, they reached outside of the party and nominated a conservative former Republican outsider billionaire. The strategy worked, but it certainly shows the state is continuing in a transition, overwhelmingly Democrat to overwhelmingly Republican.
1: You know, we just got a new governor, so we've got at least four years of this administration, if not eight, but look into the future for me. Is this the last time West Virginia has a Democratic governor?
3: It, it depends. It's certainly the trend line is showing that way. But I, I would have said that two years ago, and look what happened in the last election. The Democrats came up with a very unusual but successful nominee. So in
1: 2014, some people called the shift of power specifically in the Senate a fluke. And obviously, they picked up, we're at a 22 to 12 split now in that. Um, this sets. Does this set the future trend for the State House now? Are we, are we definitely a red state in the legislature? We
3: are, yes, in, and we are continuing the trend for the uh, rise of the Republican Party. In Alabama, it happened in less than six years. We, it's been a 16-year process, but it's continuing in that line. You know, the Democrats really rallied in the, for this election, remember, in, in November. But guess what, you know, we're gonna forget about it in, in February because that pushback did not occur. It was talked about, it was even well-funded. But again, this election was another step to the Republicans, but not yet control of the governors.
1: So uh, there's a lot of talk about this election cycle about the democratic party leaving the people of west virginia and the thing is we heard it on both sides of the aisle we heard it from conservative democrats and then we heard it from progressive democrats so let's talk about those conservative democrats first are they really is is the west virginia democratic party really leaving conservative democrats or are these conservative democrats just becoming more self-aware of what they are
3: I think we have to step back. As you, as you know, I say they're, they're Democrats, they're Republicans, and they're West Virginia Democrats. And to give us the long-term perspective, the Democratic Party was so dominant, if you're a Republican, there wasn't a chance. So you joined what was called the big tent very liberal Democrats very conservative but that was the only tent in town nowadays with the competition we're seeing two things are the conservative Democrats going to leave or are, the, or are the Liberal Democrats going to also walk out in which we saw with Charlotte Pritt a dominant institution around for 80 years is under serious stress
1: so when we look at it from a broader scale though I mean, uh, we, uh, I think it's obvious. I think we can say that both parties at the national level are starting to split. Are West Virginia Democrats, you know, finding themselves in the middle and torn between?
3: I think that's an interesting question, because I argue that that the recent changes in politics is the fact that the party as an institution, nationally and on the state level, is kind of unraveling. And we don't know where this is going. The good old days, you had party discipline. Now I see party blurring going on both sides.
1: So then we talk about the opposite side and the PRIT-led progressive movement in the West Virginia Democratic Party. She ended the night with 6% of the vote, she didn't even come up with double digits, which I think if she had, would have been a very interesting story to tell. But with 6% of the vote, is there much of a liberal wing left, I suppose, in West Virginia?
3: It certainly wasn't seen. And I think you're correct. In politics, it's double-digit. When you reach double-digit, you start getting attention. And with all this going on, a very conservative Democratic nominee, the fact that Pritt could only get 6% suggests that the liberal Democrats are even more weak than, than many people thought. Now, what's going to happen in two and four years? We'll see if there's a further unraveling of the party. But I know many liberals are very disappointed in the, in the showing of Pritt because it could have been a focus story I and mean, she could have decided between the two. But when you're under 10%, you're off of the radar screen.
1: Do you see anything that the West Virginia Democratic Party can do? to pull it back together?
3: Well, let's start here. There's almost half of the people say they're Democrats, that's registered. And those that that have walked away from the party haven't gone in the Republican Party, they've gone to the Independent. So what I think, Ashton, is that if you're running for office, Democrat or Republican, the group you have to look to is the Independent, one out of four. West Virginians don't want to either party, which means, surprise, surprise, if I want your vote, I'm going to have to talk issue and not just talk party.
1: But is that really where we are, that these independent voters don't want either party? Or is it that we're at a place still where the history of being a Democrat, my father was a Democrat, my grandfather was a Democrat, my great grandfather was a Democrat, is that tie still there? And why we're seeing that increase of independence, they don't want to be named Republicans just yet.
3: It, you know, this is exactly, it's sort of like. Re- re- uh, party identifications like religious. You might leave one church, but you're not going to go to the other. And independence is a nice way to, to to park yourself, without switching your identity.
1: So, how long does it take before the Republican registration, the Republican voter registration, is the majority in the state of of West Virginia? Another generation?
3: Would, stay tuned (laughs) i can understand what happened in the past i'm not very good at predicting but in a sense we're through we're going through this transition so it's a question of of time and and we're going to have to wait and see but again this election i'm trying to place in the context of the last 16 years if not the last three generations
1: so nationally, Donald Trump's win was very shocking to many people because the polls didn't say it. The national media didn't say it. Most people didn't see it coming. So what does that say about the state of the nation's politics right now and about the state of the the people across this country?
3: We are living in interesting times, which is really means there's a lot going on and most of us can't understand it. And I think what this this last election showed that pundit and pollsters don't even know. This is their day job to doing. So I think the question about the polls and, and, the, and the stunning upset perceived by, by uh, Trump show us that we are in a flux situation and what we could count on before we can. I think in the next election we're going to be very careful about polls because there's, now we know their liabilities and we have to be very careful because it appeared that there were frustrated voters out there and they played what I call why not. We were promised hope and change eight years ago. We didn't get either of those things. And now the argument was, why not try door number two? And it didn't matter who was behind door number two. A lot of voters so frustrated with the failure of parties and political institutions, they said, why not?
1: Dr. Robert Rupp, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Election results for all of the statewide and legislative races are available on our website, wvpublic.org. This has been a special post-election episode of Viewpoint. I'm Ashton Mara, thanks for joining us.
0: from West Virginia Public Broadcasting.